If you came in late, you didn't hear the announcement, the bad news that Alan Shore is not here. I got a call last night from the lady that does the scheduling, and she said that um, she got sick and forgot to tell him. So um, she's now fired and on the street. <laughs> so it's a bummer. I said, well, she said, well, do you want to reschedule? I said, well, no, <laughs> not right now. I just want to figure out what we're going to do tomorrow because we've been kind of boosting this thing, you know. And um, so she said, well, let me get on the phone. Maybe, maybe he could make it, you know, uh, this late notice. And he lives in Bellingham. And um, so she called, and he's back in New York, most likely at the headquarters because that's where chosen people is who was the other uh, chosen people fellow? Olivia Milnick. O Olivia Milnick. Yeah, Olivia Milnick. Yeah, have you guys ever heard Olivia? He's from France, obviously, and um, he. I listen to him quite a bit. He's part of Chosen People Ministries as well. So a Jew from France, um, Christian believer, and um, but I listen to him more on the eschatology side of things. So. He's really, really big on eschatology. And he used to live in the area. And then during COVID, or right after COVID, he moved to uh, Texas, I believe. So he's no longer in the area. But anyway, sorry about that. I hear a little crackle. I don't know. Do we have all the movement? OK. We're trying this little mic. I can't sit behind this because I built it so high for standing. I'm like, you know. anyway. Hey, for the men, um, we, you know, in a few weeks here, we've got our, our men's breakaway. Looking forward to that. We have a bus set up. We're trying to get the lunch um, set up. And so in the foyer, and we encourage you to do it tonight if um, you're planning on attending, there's a little sheet of paper, and it has, uh, you know, turkey, beef, whatever, tuna. And so all you need to, you don't need to write your name or phone number or anything, just a check so that we know how many of each types of sandwiches. We're probably going to do what we did in the past, uh, the, the box lunch that has everything in it. So if you'd go ahead and, and, and do that. And for some reason, if you're... If things have changed and you're unable to attend, if you could just maybe draw a line through your name. I think what we're going to do, if we have space, number one, we'd like to fill up the bus with the men from our church. But, you know, some guys don't want to come. So um, shame on them. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm in a bad mood. No. Um, but, if, but if there's room, you know, if there's, like, room for... 20 guys or something like that. We want to open that up to maybe, you know, Brian's fellowship. I know he'll have more than 20 men coming because they're real men. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm sorry. I'm, I can't help myself tonight. No. <laughs> I'm trying to embarrass you into signing up. No. We want you to come because it's going to be a great time. But anyway, if we have room on the bus, we'd like to maybe open an invitation, uh, if maybe not Brian's church, maybe even um, Island Church from Camino Island. We might be able to get all their guys on our bus. But anyway, so we just want to know where we're standing with that. If you have not signed up, but you're planning on attending, please sign up so that we can count you. Okay, so Psalm 84. This thing's going to drive me nuts. I, I hate things like that, the little sound things, and I'm not moving. I, I don't know what, my fleece is not rubbing it. It's something else. Why did they invent these things? You know, those silly, the, I, I, I could never wear, I, and I'm not shaming anybody that does wear those. You know, like Britney and Britney Spears, and <laughs> but, but I just could never wear that thing. It's just, anyway. So, I'm going to sit behind this because move what?
Thank you. Now we, okay. All right. You know, it would have been, remember when Jesus was out teaching by the Sea of Galilee and there was a multitude that came out and he was concerned about being crushed by the people or being pushed into the, the lake there. And so he gets on Peter's boat and they cast off just a little bit from shore and, and you know, he had that, that uh, kind of amplification off of the water and he was able to speak to the multitude and uh, I, we need a lake. <laughs> Father, we pray tonight that um, you would help us as we go through Psalm 84, Lord, and it really doesn't matter where we're at, what portion of scripture, Lord, it's, it's all your word. It's all been God-breathed. It's been inspired by you. And, and Lord, we pray that you would just cause us to have ears to hear what you might have to say to us tonight. And Father, as a teacher, I, I know uh, all too well that many times you want to speak to your people things that will never come out of my mouth. I, I'm just not thinking about it. That's not the direction I'm going. But because we're, we've got our Bibles open, we're looking at the text, I know that many times you, you do speak to your people. You speak to us, Lord, as we just simply glance down at the text. There's maybe something very specific for us individually. And Lord, we pray that you would do that tonight. So teach us corporately, teach us individually. We just thank you for being here with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts. My God, or my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, then dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Remember Malachi chapter 4? He's that son of righteousness. It says, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in Um, the sons of Korah. So we're told that this is a psalm from the sons of Korah. Do you remember Korah? Korah, uh, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, during the times of Moses, uh, they're Levites. They raise up against Moses. They say, Moses, you've taken too much upon yourself, you know. And uh, this whole thing led to Moses falling on his face. And, and finally, he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. Uh, you get your sensors, fill them with coals. Uh, we'll get our sensors, you know, Aaron and I will get our sensors. Uh, we'll meet here tomorrow at noon, high noon. No, he didn't say that. But we'll meet here tomorrow, and, and we're going to see who's, you know, who God has chosen. And, and, of course, uh, the account, I'm speaking of Numbers chapter 16. The ground opened, it says, the ground opened its mouth and it swallowed Abiram and Datham. It doesn't necessarily say that it swallowed uh, Korah. 
Uh, and, and some Bible teachers, scholars are confused. Did he get swallowed up or did he die from the fire that came out and consumed the 250 other rebellious, re rebels that were uh, joined with them? And uh, I don't, it, it, it doesn't really matter, but, but of course they were, they were all wiped out. But there were survivors. There was the offspring of Korah. There were the sons of Korah. And uh, the sons of Korah, <laughs> you know, I don't know if they, you know, they watched this thing happen, most likely. It, it, maybe it, it just set in their hearts and they thought, it's not a wise thing to rebel against God. It's not a wise thing to put yourself into a position that God has not called you to. In fact, when the Lord was rebuking Korah, he said, you know, you son of Levite, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't cursing at him. He was just saying what he was. He was a son of Levite. You're a Levite. And yet, you know, you're not satisfied that God has chosen you out of the whole congregation, that God has chosen your tribe out of the whole congregation, that the Lord has, has called you to draw near to him. That's not enough for you, you know. And um, so the sons of Korah are the descendants of Korah. And it's interesting that the sons of Korah or the Korites were responsible for the baking, for the preparing of the showbread. Remember every Sabbath, the 12 loaves of showbread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So they were responsible for that. They were also responsible for um, enforcing the death penalty to anyone who entered the tabernacle, when it was the tabernacle, and eventually the temple, whoever entered the tabernacle or the, or, or the temple uh, illegally. And so they were the ones to carry out the death penalty of that. They were the musicians, obviously, you know, here they are composing uh, music and songs here in the book of Psalms. And they were also gatekeepers. Um, so that's interesting because, you know, in our, in our text, in our psalm, somehow I lost it. In our psalm, we see that uh, the psalmist writes, I would rather, verse 10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Well, they, they were doorkeepers. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, hey, listen, our father, our father, generations back, Korah, he wasn't satisfied with the position that God gave him. But let me tell you, I'm satisfied with the position that the Lord's given me. You look at this psalm, and I think of, um, I was thinking of mountaintop experiences. Uh, you know what those are. You know, you go to a conference, you go to a retreat, you, you, uh, you know, you get away, you're alone with the Lord, whatever it might look like. And it, you have this kind of mountaintop experience. You have this, this uninterrupted time with the Lord, and you come back, and it's like you're just kind of, uh, you know, ah, oh, you've been in the presence of the Lord. The Lord has spoken to you. You're just kind of, you're kind of like flying on the, you know, the afterburners of that experience for a time. But, of course, every mountaintop experience eventually ends. We don't live on the mountaintops. And this psalm, it, it speaks of valleys that we go through. And the valley that it speaks of, of course, is the valley of Baca. And, and you know uh, that the valley of Baca, Baca means weeping. So um, in, in this particular psalm, he talks about those who go through the valley of, of weeping but we know from the scriptures that there are, there are many valleys, aren't there? Uh, let me give you just a sampling. There's the Valley of Rephaim, the Valley of Giants. There's the Valley of Salt. There's the Valley of Decision. There's the Valley of Achor, or Trouble. There's the Valley of the Shadow of Death. I mean, there's a number of valleys. In fact, it's interesting that in Israel... In Jerusalem, Jerusalem, God had created Jerusalem, the, the mountain there, in such a way that there are three valleys that really are a natural um, protection 
for Jerusalem. And those, those three valleys, uh, if you take kind of an aerial shot of those valleys, those valleys have, have been likened to the Hebrew letter, um, the Shin, who is, which, is, which is God's name for El Shaddai. And, and so they, they point out, you know, in 2 Kings chapter 21, the Lord says that he'll put his name over Jerusalem. And, and, and many think that, you know, he wasn't just saying that. This wasn't just, you know, speaking words. But there's actually a physical thing to look at and say, there it is. The Shin, El Shaddai, is over, is over Jerusalem. But you look at this psalm and... And I think, first of all, I think it's important to note whoever the psalmist was. It says the sons of Korah, but did they, did, how many sons were there? You know, these descendants. This is, this is quite a ways from the days of, of uh, Moses. So many generations have passed. This is a, this is a, a tribe of Levites. They are priests. They, they have a particular service. Was it one individual that wrote this? I think most likely. I don't know if it was a corporate uh, endeavor, but it says, "How lovely is your tabernacle!" Um, remember, before there was a temple, there was a tabernacle, this portable, movable uh, worship center that no one was able to enter except for the priest. Think of that; it's a tent, and it has curtains, and and it was built with. Great detail because God gave them the blueprints on how it was to be built down to the thread that was used and the rings that held the curtains on and, and all of these different things and the, you know, the, the, the wood that would be used and, and the articles of furniture that would be inside and the items that would be outside in the courtyard of the tabernacle. And, um, and, and the, the writer of the psalm here says, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. He says, my soul longs. That word longs, it literally means to become pale. <laughs> it means to um, pine after. It carries with it the idea of fear. So it wasn't just a location where he wanted to be, but it's a location where there was a, a little bit of fear attached to it as well. It's interesting, have you um, been paying attention to what's happening? Ramadan, you know, this is the Muslim uh, holiday or whatever, celebration. And uh, in Israel, because of what's happened, because of the war that's going on there and everything, they're trying to limit the number of Muslims that will go up on the Temple Mount. You guys know the history of, of the Temple Mount. You know, I... I um, it's interesting that the Temple Mount is under the custody of Jordan, the Jordanians. And, um, and the Jews, uh, for a long time, weren't able to even go up there. Uh, before the, the, the war, there were a number of Jews that just decided we're going on the Temple Mount. They would go on the Temple Mount. And in fact, uh, the thing that happened in October, uh, was it the 7th? I, I should know, that date should be tattooed on my brain, but, but anyway, before that, one of the reasons that Hezbollah used for attacking uh, those people at the music festival and the people who lived in that kibbutz right down there by the border, by the Gaza Strip, is that they feared that the Jews were going to try to take over the Temple Mount. Um, but, you know, um, the Temple Mount, Jerusalem, this location, I mean, this is this is ground zero, prophetically speaking. This is ground zero, economically speaking, you know, globally, you know, just as far as politically, everything is concerned about this little location. You go to Israel, you go to Jerusalem, and you kind of, you know, you, if you kind of build it up in your mind, you might be a little let down and you go, this is, this is it, really, this is it? There's not much here to look at, you know? But of course, it's location, location, location. It was a location where Abraham took Isaac 
to offer up to God. Uh, you know, you look at the Temple Mount today, and of course, uh, you know, there's a number of mosques up there. I think there's seven, I think. I don't know. There's quite a few mosques up there on the Temple Mount. But the one that stands out is the Dome of the Rock. These are Muslim. They're not Jewish. Uh, they have nothing to do with the Jews whatsoever. But you have the Dome of the Rock, and the Dome of the Rock is a building that covers a rock, a big, big rock. And on that rock, uh, the Muslims say that Abraham uh, took Ishmael and offered him up on that rock. So they totally changed the whole biblical account, and uh, they stake claim to this location, even though in the Quran, um, very little is said about Jerusalem. Jerusalem has never been a holy place for the Muslims. It is just a point of contention. This is, this is and this is what we've seen for a long, long time, a point of contention for the Jews. They rejected their Messiah, and they've reaped the consequences, and they're reaping the consequences to the present day because they have rejected their Messiah. But the Lord is going to allow a temple to be built, rebuilt on that temple mount. This, this, there is so much movement in that direction. Every, every day. You know, guys, I encourage you a lot of times to listen to Bible prophecy. If, if all you had time for was to listen to Don Stewart. Don Stewart, he has two programs each day. The morning program, and, and he's recorded that thing before you get out of bed. So you could get up in the morning, you could click your phone, and you could listen 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and Don Stewart's going to give you four, five headlines of what took place within that 24-hour period that are related to Bible prophecy. And many of those things are related to the Temple Mount. Many of those things are related, obviously, to Israel and, and, and things. But, but it also does other things. What am I saying? Educate yourself. Listen to these things. It's really insightful. It gives us a, a pulse on the times in which we're living. And it will really encourage us in our faith. Anyway, the author, he describes someone who longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. I just want to be there. Uh, you know, the, the, the fellow, I just want to be in the location. I just want to be near the place. He says, my heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. Now, again, Mario prayed it even tonight. Um, she said, oh, it's so good to be here. Wednesday nights is special to, you know, whenever we gather, our Wednesday nights are a special time. And then she made reference to the fact this is just a building, like any building. And that's true. For us as Christians, you know, we could meet at a lake. We could meet in a tent. We could meet under a bridge. We could meet in a home. We could meet wherever, you know, we need to meet. And um, um, location is not important to us. But for the Jews, location was absolutely everything. For the Jew, they had their synagogues, and that was really um, the place where they would have um, um, Bible reading and study. So that was more of a kind of a school type of setup, or you know, not really a place of worship, but a place where they would be taught, where they would learn, where they would sit and they would listen. But the temple was the location, or the tabernacle was the location of worship. You don't go, we're going to go over here, we're going to do this. Remember when Israel was split, you know, it was a united nation. Solomon takes over. Solomon, his name means peace. He was a man of peace, nothing like his father. Didn't have to fight any battles. I mean, Solomon had it really easy. His father made everything, all the preparations for the temple. He wanted to build the temple, couldn't build the temple. So... Solomon just kind of got everything moving, you know. Solomon, no wars. He has a lot of time on his hand. He's the wisest man who ever lives. He has people that are coming and going all the time, coming to listen to his wisdom. They're intrigued. They're amazed by this man. But the thing that got Solomon was that he loved many women, 
and he married all of these foreign women from all these foreign gods, and they swayed his heart. They turned his heart away from the true and living God. And the ramifications of that turning away was the kingdom was divided. And remember, there was this effort to say, listen, we don't have to worship here in Jerusalem any longer. We're going to go on up. Let's go on up to <laughs> the border of Lebanon, which wasn't the border of Lebanon. It was actually part of, part of Israel at that time. But let's go up to Dan, and, and we'll set up a, an altar there, and we'll worship there, and, and, and that's, that's what they did. And so you had this kind of rival location of worship, and of course, it wasn't something that was ordained by God. It wasn't pleasing to the Lord, and it just created an absolute mess. You say, what's your point, Dan? I always need to have a point. Uh, I, I've been watching. You've been watching. You've been paying attention of it. You'd, you'd, you'd have to live in a cave not to see it. Our nation is going down the tubes. We're a post-Christian nation. Our nation is under judgment. I believe that wholeheartedly. I, I believe that we have the leaders that we have because God is judging our nation. I was thinking the other day how... Um, and I was praying, Lord, I love you, I love your word, but I live in this world, and I probably don't even recognize how my thinking, how, how compromise just begins to just make its way into my, my, my life, just in the thing, in, in, in this way that I'm not as shocked as I once was. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you see things that are, you know, presented today. Uh, Nate sent me a video of a fellow that he, he was telling the men about on Monday night, a fellow who was jailed. He went to jail, how many years, five years? Four or five years. He goes to jail because he helps a lesbian woman who ends up coming to faith in Christ, but she's in an abusive marriage with another woman, and they have a child, a child that she uh, carried and birthed, and she needed to get out of the situation because he was going up to the the state where she was heading, he had a friend that was dying. He said, I'll give you a ride. That was the only thing he did, nothing illegal. And he ended up going to jail for four or five years. It's just unbelievable. He's still dealing with the issue. You say, oh, that, that's bunk. That doesn't happen. It does happen. There are so many things that happen in our country, and we just kind of think, that never happened here. That's impossible. That can't happen. But it is happening. You know, I was thinking when I said location, he talked about in the jail cell because many people at first, he said it was really hard because people thought he was a predator, a child molester, because his crime was related to a child, because he was taking the mother and the child out of the state for safety. And he said it was really hard for him at first because, you know, you go into prison and, and people think you're a predator, a sexual predator of children. And, um, and he says, but then, you know, uh, some of the, you know, the, I think it was a guard and some others kind of did their research. And once they found out what he did, he, he, be, he was very liked among the inmates because they thought, well, this guy's not, he's not a predator. He's a hero. He's just trying to help this lady get into a, <laughs> a safe place, you know. And uh, it really opened the door. He was able to share the gospel. And he talked about being in a cell. Their church was a cell. Uh, he, he gave the measurements. I remember it was very small. But he said there were like 16 men in this cell. And that's where they were having their, their and this is in the United States of America. Anyway, I, I just think of how there are things that are just absolutely so perverse in our world, and, and it just doesn't have the shock value that it once had for us. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. This fellow, he says, Lord, I just want to be, I want to be in that place where you're worshipped. I want to be in that place where, where we identify with you, you know. 
you know, it's that place. This is where God dwells, they would think. Even though the Lord says, I don't dwell in buildings made by hands. But, I mean, that's the closest thing they could get. He says, even the sparrow, it's, it, he's, he's, he's jealous. He's jealous of the birds. The sparrows and the swallow, they make their nest. He says, where she may lay her young, even your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. I love this. It's, it's like, you know, he, he, he's just kind of observing. Now, he's a son of Korah. He's a Levite. He's a doorkeeper. He's a musician. I mean, I don't think they all did all these things. They probably split up different groups. But whatever his responsibilities were, he had access to the, to the temple. Not necessarily to go into the temple. He wasn't, he wasn't in, in that tribe going into the temple, laying the showbread, burning the, the incense and that type of thing. Uh, but but he was he was there he was he was close to uh, where all of this was taking place, and he he's looking around and it's almost like why would anyone ever want to leave here? He looks at a bird's nest, you know, built there in the altar or near the altar of of God, where they would offer up the sacrifices, and he envies the birds because of their nearness to that place of worship um, verse 4 blessed are those who dwell in your house you know uh, well no one was dwelling in his house no one was dwelling in the temple in fact the sons of Korah had location they, they could actually stay uh, remember during the times of uh, John the Baptist so John's father is a priest, and the lot fell upon his name so that he could go in and burn incense. Remember that whole thing? Um, during that time, there were many priests that would come in to do their service. So maybe they were on duty for a week or two, whatever the period of time. But when they weren't, they would go back out to whatever city they lived in, maybe they farmed or, or whatever, that type of thing. So they had kind of a, another life, and then they would come in and they would, they would serve. And so the, the writer, as he's kind of describing this whole thing, um, it's really a person who is absolutely in love with the Lord. I just want to be where he is. And then he says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. You know, guys, um, do you feel strong? Uh, that's relative, isn't it? it kind of, you know, the older you get or whatever condition you might be in, you know, sometimes you might feel strong. Maybe we're not talking about physical strength, but spiritual strength. You feel strong. I'm doing well. I'm seeking the Lord. I'm standing with the Lord, you know. But we never, like, maintain that. There, there's, there's always kind of the ebb and flow of, of that type of stuff in our life. And, and there needs to be this, I think, this constant reminder that my strength, my strength is in him it's not in myself. Oh, Lord, give me strength. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, you know. And, and I think that that's what he's describing here. He says, he goes on to say, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Again, it's hard for us because, you know, you guys show up here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and, and uh, you live probably close by. I don't think we have anyone traveling from afar or from off island. We have one family, I think, that's off island that comes to church here. And... But it's not like a pilgrimage. It's just something you do. You get in your minivan, you drive down, and you come to church. But you think of the pilgrims that would make their way for the different feasts, the Jewish feast, and they would, they would uh, leave. Uh, we kind of have a picture of this with Jesus 
And Joseph and Mary, remember Jesus is about 12 years of age, and they're traveling from Nazareth. And we know that when they left, so after the festival, they're traveling and they're in a caravan. It's safer to travel as a group than it would be to just travel as a family. And uh, Joseph and Mary, well, they didn't see Jesus, but they just kind of made the assumption that he's with us somewhere in this caravan of people. You know, we'll, 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 we'll kind of catch up with them later. He's only 12 years old. He's a boy, you know. And then they realize, they're inquiring, they realize, well, he's not here, he's not with us. And so they go back in, and what was he doing? He's reasoning with the priest, and the priests were amazed by the wisdom that this young boy had. You know, guys, when, when you're reading the New Testament, and the religious leaders ask the question, who is his father? Many times they're asking because they're saying, is, is his father a Pharisee? A Sadducee? Is his, is his father a religious leader? Because obviously this, this man, you know, later on in his life, this man knows the scriptures. He knows, he, he knows you know, the, the word of God. Who's his father, you know? Um, if they only knew. But these people would be, they'd set their heart on pilgrimage, you know. This was a celebration. This was a task. This took effort. And as they would make their way, verse 6, they passed through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. So, and that's life. You know, there's the mountaintop experiences. Thank you, Lord, for those. But there's the valleys. And sometimes you could be on a mountaintop, you know, one day, maybe in the same day, <laughs> you find yourself in the valley. Why? Because of circumstances. As humans, so often... Everything is hinged upon circumstances. What I'm feeling, I just got bad news. I'm, I'm in the valley now, you know. And I'm not putting anyone down. It's just true of us as humans. We're, we're just so frail, so quick to, to move from one thing to the next thing, you know. And so the psalmist is writing about those who, they're making their pilgrimage. They're coming from, a, from afar throughout Israel. They're, they're making their way up to Jerusalem, to the temple there, or the tabernacle at that time. And as, they, as they're going through, you know, making this pilgrimage, they're going through the Valley of Baca. Now, the Valley of Baca, I don't think it's an actual valley. I think it's an it's a illustration. Um, it's a valley of weeping. What's going on? Why are you weeping? Oh, I'm, you know... We're losing a loved one. I'm weeping. I'm, I'm troubled by this. I'm troubled by that, you know. And, and, and the Lord knows um, these things that trouble us. But you know what I love about the word of God is that the Lord with his people, he has expectations for us. Um. He says, look, he says, they make it a spring. You're going through the Valley of Baca. What are you going to do while you're there? Well, make it a spring or a well. So a spring, that's something we say, well, how can you make a spring? There's either a spring or there's not a spring. But a well, see, that's something we understand, a well. Remember Jacob's well? What does that mean? Digging Hard work, sweat, time, endurance. Keep digging, keep digging. Are you there yet? Not yet. Have you hit water yet? Nope. Keep digging, keep digging. Make it a spring, make it a well. And then it says, you know, I believe it's the Lord's part. Uh, the rain also covers it with pools. And the word pools there, look at it, it says blessings. So we're in the valley of Baca, we're going through it, we're bummed out, we're stressed out. What do we do while we're there? <laughs> we prepare it for the next person coming through. Um, you say, but the Lord knows we're frail. He does. That's why 
That's why he encourages us, those who trust in the Lord, they will go from strength to strength. That's why he reminds us, our strength is in the Lord. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our own, own abilities. It's not in our you know, ability to figure things out. Our strength is in the Lord. If only we could learn this sooner rather than later. We fret. We wring our hands. We, we borrow misery. Nothing happens. Nothing good happens. I mean, sometimes, you know, do we think um, the Lord says, oh, you've gone through enough, you know. You've gone through enough hardship, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a break. I mean, I don't see that anywhere in the scripture, and I haven't really experienced that in my own life. Because it seems like the Lord is always using things in our life to teach us something about ourselves, right? Oh, I wish so-and-so would have been there. Been where? Oh, been there last Sunday for that service, you know, that service when, when the pastor really, I wish that so-and-so would have been. That's something they really needed to hear. They should have been here. And I wonder how many times the Lord would say, that was for you. Not for them. That was for you. I was speaking to you through that situation. Guys, I, um, I'm not going to keep you long. I promise I won't keep you long tonight because you're already disappointed that I'm up here. But, um, but I, I remind Calvary, the people of Calvary Chapel Oak Harbor quite often of the fact that the Lord has expectations for us. The Lord wants us to grow up. The Lord uh, wants us to get our stuff together so that we can be a help to others who haven't gotten their stuff together yet. And um, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the world. What does the world say? The world says to the drunkard or the drug addict, you need to do this for yourself. You need to get clean for yourself. Because, of course, self is the greatest motivation. And I think, you know, I've, I've had my share of, you know, counseling and meeting with drunkards, that's what the Bible calls them. We'd say alcoholics or, or drug addicts or, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, people who are addicted to pornography or whatever. And I rarely give counsel, you need to do this for yourself. I say, you have kids, don't you? Yeah. You need to knock it off for your kids. You're married, aren't you? Yeah. You got to knock it off for your wife or for your husband. See, people don't like that. It's like, oh, no, no, it's got to be for me. If it's not for me, it's not going to last. I'm telling you, there's a reason why you're a drug addict or an alcoholic. It's because self has been on the throne for too long. <clears throat> self isn't happy. So self needs to be fed. So I'm going to feed self, and it's a self-focused world that we live in, even in the church. Rather than the responsibility of the person who's, you know, just a slobbering drunk, and they have a moment of clarity, and they say to themselves, or better yet, they say to God, oh, God, help me. Look what I've done to my family. Look what I put my children through. 
Forgive me, Lord. But we don't like that brand of Christianity. I mean, but this is what we see. We see the Lord holding people accountable, you know, for their, for their actions. So the, the latest controversy, and I'm not asking what side you land on, but the, the latest controversy, Super Bowl Sunday. So uh, Super Bowl Sunday to me is like any other Sunday because I'm not into the Super Bowl. I can't care less about the Super Bowl. But Super Bowl Sunday, the commercial, millions of dollars to put these 30-second commercials on television. The commercial, he gets you. Isn't that the slogan, he gets you? He gets us. He gets us. He gets us. And so you have this, that's the slogan, he gets us. And... Um, and then you have these images. I think that they were created by AI, from what I understand, these images. And um, of, of, you know, people washing other people's feet. And um, one of the images was a, you know, a, a pastor or a priest. Uh, he's got a black shirt on. He's got a cross hanging from his neck. And he's washing the feet of this very flamboyant homosexual man holding his foot kind of up. And, and, and so, so, so the, the world, and sadly, even the church, Christians look on and they say, at least it gets people thinking about Jesus. Does it? Does it really? At least it's leading people to Christ. Does it really? Does it lead people to Christ? Because I don't, I don't see that in the. And he said, "Oh, Dan, that's the problem. Guys like you, you always find air with everything. I don't think I find air with everything, but I do find air." when it's supposed to be a presentation of gospel or the truth of God or God's nature or these types of things. And I, and I am very protective and concerned about that. Not that I have any control over it. You know, the fellow, one of the fellows that put this thing on, you know, the owner of uh, uh, Hobby Lobby. And uh, from what I understand, he's a Roman Catholic and there were other that invested in this multi-million dollar 30-second commercial. Uh, he gets us. And, um, and I just think, why did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? First of all, whose feet did he wash? The disciples. And Judas as well. Judas was there Judas got his feet washed. And Jesus made it clear that he was not one of his disciples. Um, Peter protested. You're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, I have nothing to do with you. Peter says, oh, then not my feet, my head, my hands, my whole body, give me a bath. Jesus says, you don't need a bath. You've been already clean by my word. Those who have clean only need their feet washed. But what was, what was the elephant in the room, in the upper room? What was the elephant in the room? Well, John doesn't tell us. But you know, guys, we don't have just John's gospel. We have the other gospels. And in the other gospels, and in Luke's gospel specifically, but in the other gospels, they all speak of this rivalry between the 12 that they're bickering about who's the greatest among them. And Luke tells us that they were even arguing about that when they were having the supper with Jesus. And Jesus says, what are, you, what are you talking about? What are you arguing about? He knew precisely what they were arguing about. They, they were silent, you know. Do you think that the foot washing had anything to do with that? Because in John's gospel, he tells us, I've set an example for you. You know, uh, you guys keep bickering about who's going to be the greatest. You're not going to be on mission. <laughs> You're pilgrims in this land. You're on mission. The mission is the gospel. 
see, guys, there should be, there, there should be, and it shouldn't be something we manufacture that we build up within us. But I look at psalms like this. We don't even know the author of the psalm. We know nothing about If it was David, we could kind of look into the things we know from the scriptures about. We don't know who this fellow was. But we know he's someone who's describing this longing, this fainting for the courts of the Lord, that his heart and his flesh are crying out for the living God. A, I want you, God. I don't want a false view of you. I want you, God. You're a holy God. He envies the birds because of their nearness to the altar and to the tabernacle and all of these things. He acknowledges that, you know, it's, it's the Lord. My strength comes from him. And, and, and then he, he kind of has a sense of, but there's a responsibility for us, you know, the pilgrims as we make our way through this world. There's going to be those valleys that we go through. And as we go through these valleys, it's not just about me. It's not just about what I'm going through. It's, Lord, I'm digging. I don't understand it. This is hard. Lord, if something doesn't happen soon, I, I'm going to fill up this well with my own tears, Lord. I'm digging. I'm digging. And then the Lord gets us to a place, hopefully, where he settles us down and he says, I taught you some things through that, didn't I? Yes, Lord. The lesson is always the same. It's not like, oh, I have 10 different lessons that I learned from the Lord. It's always one lesson. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. I was down for the count. I, I couldn't go any further. I, I, did, I, was, I was despairing of, of life. It was so difficult, but, but, but I've learned this. I've learned this, Lord. I, I, I learned these things so often the hard way, Lord. You get me into a place where I, where I realize it's not my strength. It's not my words. It's not my arguments. It's not my persuasion. It's not what I'm going to do. I'm not going to buy myself out of this problem. I'm not going to get some psychological counseling for my problem. It's, Lord, I'm going to fall on my face before you and say, oh, Lord, help me. You're my strength. I have no one but you. And it's almost as if the Lord, not because he's an egomaniac, but because he's a loving father. It's almost as if he says, I've been waiting for this. This is the answer. He gets us. No, he knows us. You know, I think he gets us. Am I saying the right thing? Or he gets us. I think, you know, what, what does that mean? Another way we might say it is um, he understands us. He does understand us. He understands us that we have same-sex attractions, that we have an appetite for things that we shouldn't have an appetite for. He gets us. He understands us. He's sympathetic toward us? No. His word says, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. He says, those who do not believe in me, the wrath of God continues to abide on you. He says, whosoever calls upon the name, my name, shall be saved. He says, repent of your sins, turn to me, and I'll give you new life. He said, see, see that's the thing, guys. Listen, we, if we're not if we're not digging with intention, with purpose, when we're in the valley of Baca, this is what we will do. Others will come along and will say, listen, 
I've got a really good counselor, and let me give you their card because I'll tell you, they, they helped me out, and this, is, this guy, you gotta see this guy because this guy's gonna remedy your problem. You say, Dan, you're mocking. I'm not mocking. I'm saying there should be this devotion to God to such a degree that we almost daily come to the conclusion, I have no one but you, Lord. I have no one but you, Lord. And to honor him so that he can, in one sense, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, so he can, on our benef- or, 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 for our benefit, so he can prove himself faithful. So that he could show us, I'm here, I'm with you, I love you. Yes, I know what you're going through. But I love you enough to not leave you as you are. You're not going to be the same person. If you place your faith in me, you are not going to remain the same. You're going to change. Pastor Brian sent me a little clip from Babylon B. You know, Babylon B, it's a satire, Christian satire. And they did a little video, kind of a satire on He Gets Us. And it's Satan, He Gets Us. And there's these images, you know, and, and it shows a guy, you know, just all wasted in a alley, you know, bottles all around him. And he says, Satan. He gets us. He understands us. He's sympathetic toward us. He wants us to spend eternity with him. He promises he'll never change anything in your life. Everything will remain the same. It just kind of goes on, short little video. And I just thought, that is the message. It's like we've we've got the wrong message. And because there isn't this passion for the things of God, within our hearts, we don't even recognize that we've got the wrong message. He loves us. Israel is the apple of his eye. The scripture tells us he knows the number of hairs we have on our head. We don't even know that. That he keeps our tears in a bottle and a book of remembrance and, and all of these expressions that obviously or I shouldn't say obviously, I don't think that they're literal. I don't think that the Lord needs a book of remembrance. I don't think he needs a bottle of our tears, but I think these are symbolic to show us that God cares for us. But then the message of the book is, how much do you care for me, Lord? And he says, behold, the cross. The bloody, unrecognizable, you know, he was, he was unrecognized. Isaiah says that he was marred to such a degree that he wasn't even recognizable. See, guys, and, and this is kind of this, this shock to the system to where we say, oh, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say in all of this, and I'm out of time, surprise, surprise, I guess what I'm trying to say is that as for me, there is this willful, this mindful, before I lose my mind, this this willful, mindful desire to say, Lord, help me. Because I live in a world and I live in a church age where things are constantly being watered down and I'm around people that many times because, and again, it's not, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I was joking earlier before the service, but, but I'm around people that seem to have more of the philosophy of the world than, than, the, than the, the truth of the word of God. And, and we're, it's like if, we're, if we don't recognize the right remedy, will we ever be fixed (laughs) see if the remedy is this band-aid this salve this this ointment put this on put this on put this you feeling better you know I think I am I think I'm doing better as gangrene is setting in and the arms are ready to be amputated 
But we're saying, you know, I just, I feel, I feel so much better. I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Rather than the Lord saying, no, this is what we got to do. We got to cut it out. You know, I grew up in San Diego and we lived in Poway. We lived in the country and rattlesnake country. We had rattlesnakes. Uh, they would always come down into our neighborhood and our cats would play with rattlesnakes. And when I was a teenager, we would go out and catch rattlesnakes and, and kill rattlesnakes and rattlesnakes, rattlesnakes, rattlesnakes. And back at that time in the 70s, we, though none of us ever carried it, there was a rattlesnake bite kit. And it was a little rubber thing, and you'd open it up, and there was a razor blade in there. You'd take the razor blade, and you'd cut, but make a little cut. And then you would, now, <laughs> we were told, you suck out the blood. Now, you'll never find that anywhere now, because they say, don't, don't suck blood, because you're sucking the venom, you're sucking the venom, and if you have cavities or open sores in your mouth, <laughs> well, you've just... You've just invited that into your body now, you know. So others would say, oh, you're supposed to use that little little rubber thing that doesn't have any suction on it and try to get the, the poison out of it. Have you ever seen someone that's been bit by a rattlesnake? It's amazing what it can do to the body, to the leg, to the hand. Usually that's where people get bit. Their hand, when they're going to reach for a hose or something like that, a rattlesnake comes out, and their hand just begins to swell up and swell up and swell up, and they've got to open that thing up. They need to cut it open. They need to get all the poison out, and they've got to, they've got to get, because the skin's ready to burst because the thing is swelling up so much. And I, and I think that when I, when I look at the word of God and I say, Lord, I don't, I'm glad you don't play with me. I, I'm glad that I, I, I know where I stand with you. I know that you love me, but I know that you're not my equal. I think of as a young Christian how so often I would just almost, you know, shake my fist at heaven and why are you doing to this? I, I just... Man, I hope I never get to that place again because I think of how disrespectful that is. It's like I'm putting myself on the same level as him. And listen, don't say, but he gets us, he gets us. No, we need to look at his word and say, he's God. He's above all things. Of course he understands. He knows everything. But there should be this longing. There should be this fainting. There should be this mixture of fear, holy reverence and fear. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to grow up. Help me, Lord. I live in a world that's becoming more and more scary. I think of that testimony, that short little testimony that that fellow shared. And he was talking about being in prison. He's in prison for giving a woman a ride to another state. And the whole agenda is, is for this whole, you know, there's a political agenda behind the whole thing, and that's why they made a big deal out of it. But he was talking about how during COVID, uh, he couldn't see his wife for eight months. She couldn't come and visit. And how hard that was to be away from his wife. I mean, he's not a criminal. And yet, there was this, this resolve in his heart. He just, he just believed there were different people that were sharing with him that he was like a Joseph for this day, an innocent man. He's here for a reason. God is going to use this thing, though it's going to be difficult for you, just as it was for Joseph when he was thrown into prison. And I'm listening to his testimony, and he said that, he, that they told him he could get out, he could go free if he would just admit to something, and he says, I'm not going to do it. And I'll tell you, when he was sharing that part, I, I was sitting at my desk, and I just sat there, and I hung my head, and I thought, Lord, I hope I would have that level of integrity. Because I don't know what I would do. We live in such a gray world, and, and it would be so easy to say, well, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lord knows. The Lord knows that you didn't do that. The Lord knows you didn't do anything wrong. But, you know, come on. You don't want to go to prison for something that you're not guilty of. But he realized he was, he was there for a purpose. There was a point that was to be made. 
And he doesn't even know the, the full ramifications of that yet. But I just, I just think that the Lord wants us to be a people that are of a deeper relationship with him. Don't you agree, guys? Do you guys agree with that? A deeper, a deeper commitment, a deeper sense of, Lord, what, whatever it is, whatever you want to do to glorify yourself in me, Lord. There would be a people who are living not just for ourselves, but for other people. You know, my dad didn't even, he didn't even know the Lord. And my father modeled that for me. And there are some Christian men, they're not modeling that for their children. I'm just thinking, how dare you do that for your kids? Because so often, you know, the, the kids, they just kind of follow a model that's been set for them. Good, bad, or ugly, you know. And yet, you know, there are unbelievers who live selfless lives. How much more should the Christian say, I'm in the valley. I don't want to be in the valley. I can moan and groan and complain and throw my fist up to the air. Or I can say, I'm here, Lord. What do you want me to do? And you hear that still small voice, dig. What does that look like? Dig. Gain a greater appreciation of the presence of the Lord. Gain a greater appreciation of the strength of the Lord. Gain these things so that the next group that comes through this valley of Baca, maybe they're not even dealing with the same things you were dealing with. You're going to be able to speak into their lives. Have you guys noticed, Monday night guys, have you noticed that there seems to be a theme? The theme is we should be people who are speaking into people's lives, not what we think they want to hear, the truth of the word of God. So help us, Lord, to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.